0: This is episode 7 of season 2 Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, featuring Ellen Hilkema, founder of EcoFemMag. You're tuning in to Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, where women share inspiring stories about their careers in green business, sustainability, and
1: conservation.
0: Here's your host and founder of Trashy Beauty, Barbara Lee. Imagine trying to find a balance to your life and going from living in New York City working in the fashion industry to living out of a van in Portugal working on different conservation projects. There is a balance that can be struck between these two extremes and this is the story of Ellen Hilkema. Ellen is the founder of Ecofem Mag which, similar to Trash Talking, helps to uncover the amazing stories of females around the world who work in the green space. What was so interesting when I was speaking to Ellen is that I actually went through something quite similar. Though I'm currently living in New York City working a full-time job in the tech startup world, before I got here, I was actually living abroad in places like Kenya and Ecuador, working on conservation projects and living out of a backpack. I still find it hard to balance the two extremes of the lifestyles that I've lived, but it is what drove me to start this podcast. While you're listening to this story, know that it is not just Ellen's story that I'm sharing, but my own and, I believe, many others. So here's to all you female eco-warriors. This episode is sponsored by Organic Basics. Check them out in our show notes because Organic Basics is giving trash-talking listeners 20% off their first order of organic underwear and SilverTech socks. Let's get trash talking.
1: I've created a platform called eco Mag to uh, inspire millennials. We often look at sustainability and uh, the eco uh, worlds as like, oh, there's so much doom and gloom happening in the world. But actually, there are so many amazing things that are happening and so many amazing businesses. And you are one of them, Barbara. Thanks. <laughs> First of all, I was working in New York City, seeing all these clothing aligned. It really amazed me at first sort of slowly sort of went into so where are all these clothes going and so sustainability became a part of my life in the career
0: it's no secret the fashion industry is one of the most pollutant industries in the world second behind oil and coal production the waste from fashion comes from production shipping waste and the eventual disposal of textiles straight to landfill instead of fabrics being reused or upcycled into new materials Not to mention the disposability of fashion as the industry tries to create micro-seasons and styles that are not meant to last and garments that are made of poor quality and are destined for the landfill. It's no wonder that working in this industry is what led Ellen to the next step in her journey.
1: And then I did a complete opposite. I went, we bought a van in the Netherlands and drove down to Portugal. I lived in my van for a couple of years and, and everything revolving around that.
0: Though lovely, Ellen did get that the two extremes of her life were not very balanced. So she went back home and decided to do something differently.
1: It came to the realization that you don't have to go to either extreme to be either green or successful. So, uh, you're able to live in the, the Western world as we know it with uh, cell phones and living in homes with showers and stuff like that, but also be sustainable. So that was sort of my new mission, to be able to be a part of the world, not live in basically a cave kind of without any um, amenities. uh, Yeah. Yeah, from the Western world. And yeah, be a part of all of it. And just sort of also trying to prove to the world that it's possible. And just seeing people,
0: finding the people who are actually doing it. So that
1: led me to start the business that I now run.
0: So how does one go from working in New York City to living in a van in Portugal? This is how it all unfolded.
1: I was working in New York City. And it really, literally was just sort of a voice in my head saying, you need to go to Portugal. I'd i been there once on a, a vacation when I was like in my teens. to commonplace people visit from the Netherlands so I visited there once I hadn't really seen much of nature there at all so I had this sort of calling and I listened to it and I just did it so I went to the Netherlands found a van that I could p- live in for a bit longer it wasn't as small one it was quite a big one it was a older van than older than I am it came from 1983 yeah I guess in the US you would call it an RV I think maybe it's like yeah, we call it like a bus in between a van and the. RV
0: thing. I know what you're thinking. That's crazy, right? I actually have met other people, and I have friends who are doing something similar. Shouts to my friend Frances, who's living out of a van she built herself in Laguna Beach, California. I love hearing the story of how Ellen decided to get there, though.
1: And yeah, I just drove down and all, all many places along the way.
0: What was important about this journey for Ellen was not just what she did, but what really inspired her.
1: The most inspiring parts were probably the smallest projects, the projects well, who were... Yeah, just doing this out of this sort of passion for nature and really wanting to bring restore nature to uh, its original state. So the permaculture projects were definitely the ones that inspired me most and I felt the most love and care. Also the ones that were, I think, maybe struggling the most. They weren't able to find very many volunteers because they had to ask the volunteers to pay money to be able to eat there. So the volunteers were there working for free and had to pay to stay there. But those were the projects that uh, really were restoring the balance
0: there were those types of projects and then there were some other types of projects.
1: Devotees of Osho or followers of Osho, the uh, spiritual man from uh, India who moved, then moved to Oregon. And they, apparently he had said at the end of, I don't know what, that the one person asked a question, so what do we do now? Because we're not going to be able to like live with you anymore. So what do we do? Buy land, live as simply as possible and give to nature. And that's what these people that I met in Portugal living in the middle of nowhere were doing, they were living as simply as they could and living off of the land that they had bought all those years back when they stopped following him and are still living in that manner. And then there were beautiful herbal retreat centers in um, the south of uh, Portugal where the love of the plants and the, like, they were going into every single aspect of the plant and like de- deconstructing one plant at a time in workshops, which is also a very beautiful uh, place to visit. And learn. One big thing I learned there was a lot of people come, uh, there's many people from especially Europe in Portugal and a lot of people come there with a dream to start a retreat center or start, do something and there are very many, many in Portugal. There's some sort of attraction there, I don't know what it is, but a lot of them uh, come there with a dream and not many are able to sort of see that plan that they originally have through to the end to where they want it to be. So that's have to sort of Definitely be malleable and molded into a different type of project than they intended it to be in the beginning because there's a lot of obstacles that come along the way.
0: So what was a day in the life like for Ellen? I
1: was living at the top of the road in the van. I was staying there for probably a few weeks. There wasn't uh, a way to take the van to the the bigger house itself because it was a mountainous uh, area. So I lived at the top of the road. And then I would walk down every morning in the mist Along the small little uh, path. Yeah, the mist in the mountains was so beautiful. And uh, walked down and people were already um, in the estuva, which is the, uh, I think, you, how do you call it in English? Uh, The little greenhouse. The greenhouse and, yeah, tending to the baby plants and at the nursery, basically. And then people getting a cup of coffee and then just everyone's sort of doing their own thing. There's a book where in, in, in which you can read what is going on for that day or what's going on with which plants and what, need, what needs to be watered. I was there in the summer, so a, a lot of the work is watering. And seeing these projects come to life and they have been hand passed through many different hands from all these volunteers that come from all over the world. And based on this book and the love for the plants and everyone brings their own knowledge, this project is thriving like there's not one leader there's one person sort of taking control of anything it's sort of this beautiful ecosystem of people just writing down what they're doing putting in their own best intentions and their experiences from past projects into this project but also sort of knowing what needs to get done through this book which i thought was a, a really beautiful beautiful lesson that there's not necessarily one person who needs to sort of take control of everything but that If everyone does their best and if everyone sort of just reads the book and sees what needs to get done, that it actually does get done.
0: In some ways, working so closely with nature amplifies the plight of climate change and the struggles of living in drought.
1: There wasn't always very much water in uh, Portugal, so uh, sometimes the water would run out and then some plants would die. You'd have to sort of choose the ones that are most uh, in need of water. So yeah, lots of uh, aspects came to uh, this Yeah, and uh, the bucket shower and the compost toilet were also uh, interesting parts of it, and uh, (laughs) the communal dining and people putting in like 10 euros uh, a week for meals, which is not a lot of money, and still having these beautiful royal meals, mainly vegetables, that people would eat together. Yeah, it was a, a lovely place to be.
0: This is something that I've had the experience of doing as well, living off the land with little to no connection to the world and attempting to live in different communities and different eco-conservation projects. It was extremely eye-opening, and one project in particular I loved was called Rosemary Project, and it was located in Baja de Lagoa, South Brazil. We ate communally, with one person being charge of cooking for the whole group. The food was vegan, gluten-free, sugar-free, process-free, and a lot of it came from living off the land we did our work in the morning and had the afternoons to ourselves but we usually started the day as a group with some type of morning activity or another self-created ritual it was a beautiful experience but i definitely had some challenges with this sort of living myself
1: Living in community is definitely something that is, uh, I think more challenging now that we've become so, uh, uh in our own cocoons, we we in the Western world live in our own, we live our own lives and we drive in our own cars and we live in our own little apartments and, uh, sit behind our desks, but then you're living in a community and have to do things together. And yeah, what I was saying, it's a uh, nice ecosystem of not that one person being the boss, which also take, uh, has its challenges because who is the boss and are people, uh, not doing as much work as other people and, um. Some people might be, yeah, causing a bit of uh, troubles. And I don't think I really encountered very much extreme challenges in this aspect. I think just sort of general... Yeah, small difficulties such as people smoking in areas where you shouldn't be smoking or um, people being annoyed that one person is taking a bit too much control over the the greenhouse that maybe it should be more of a team effort or people being a bit annoyed that one person is not doing as much work or forgot to water the plants or things like that, which causes difficulty, which did make me think a lot about uh, community living. Some projects, it was really like this community and other projects where it was a bit more established and a bit more... almost sounds like a bit more adult or a bit more westernized where people would have their own, who were actually living there for longer periods of time would have their own houses or building or like a yurt and that's like really their place and a lot of times they have their own little kitchen area and their own shower area and they do things separately but they also do things together so it's not this we do it all together and we have to meet about things but you do do that but it's not necessarily like the whole structure you're not only a part of the community but you're also your own world you can sort of retreat away from community living which uh, yeah appealed to me very much actually
0: while I am a big advocate for consuming less and buying secondhand, I am also a very active person and I love to wear my favorite hand-me-downs, but I do have a day job and live in New York City so I need to look presentable. This leaves me with the question of where I should buy my clothes. There are a few companies that I stand behind and support, but one of them is Organic Basics. Organic Basics was found on the fact that the fashion industry is a dirty bastard. The founders set out to make the most sustainable clothing that they could. From using recycled synthetic fibers to weaving their clothing with silver to reduce odors and the amount of washing needed, Organic Basics has really thought through every part of making their company sustainable. Just for listeners of Trash Talking, Organic Basics is offering 20% off your first order of their high-tech socks, underwear, and leggings. Visit organicbasics.com slash trash talking to take advantage of this incredible offer. I personally love my invisible tank top and their cozy organic cotton underwear. And I especially love knowing that my clothes are simple and helping to make a statement that even though I want to look great and live a modern life, I can still choose to put the planet first. Check them out at organicbasics.com slash trash talking. We're back with Ellen, who is telling us about how she went from living in New York City and working in the fashion industry to living out of a van in Portugal and starting her own project in the Netherlands.
1: So I moved back to the Netherlands after completing my adventure in Portugal.
0: This is kind of the kicker to the story, though, because it's actually really interesting why Ellen stopped traveling.
1: Yeah, it was actually because my daughter was born. I have (laughs) a daughter. She was born in Portugal. She wasn't born in the van. I rented a house. I decided, okay, now I need a house. I can't let her... No. So uh, I rented a house in Portugal and she was born there. I just was like, this is too difficult. I can't do this. So I moved back to the Netherlands, took an airplane, left my van there.
0: So what kind of compelled her to get to the t- sort of work that she's doing today?
1: I have this knowledge and I still have this yeah, desire or uh, love for business and marketing. And how can I marry these two? And yeah, that's actually the not so glorious or sexy story about why I am doing what I'm doing right now.
0: And how did this end up changing her life?
1: was amazing also to see the transition back to the netherlands where you sort of uh, I, I came to my apartment where i live in now where i am right now i had a shower oh my gosh i have a shower in my apartment and i have a refrigerator with cold food uh, that i can just access at any time and everything was just so luxurious and i can walk to the grocery store and there's it doesn't have to be this huge trek to go get groceries and everything is just so easy and whereas before i'd be looking at the netherlands and everything seemed so organized around me and people everywhere there's cameras on the streets and you're just sort of you feel a little bit trapped or something and now it's like oh it's actually kind of nice to have all of this you also sort of notice like this struggle a little bit about with retaining the the things that i've learned because i don't have a garden and like those am i losing all this uh, knowledge that i've gained? And not always having being able to buy things without plastic or like suddenly having a plastic straw in my drink or something like that those little small challenges that i didn't have to face when i was living off grid i have come back now
0: Similarly to myself, it wasn't always easy for Ellen to take part in these types of communities and also coming back and adjusting to being part of a first world country.
1: The biggest struggle for me was sort of the the grief of having to let go of that life because I actually wanted to live there long term. And now living in the de- Netherlands, it's sort of a loss of a dream, I guess. So now knowing that I'm going to be here in the Netherlands, at least for a, a while, while my daughter is able to go to school and have all these... Um, things that I want her to have, but not necessarily being able to live in nature. What I really wanted, so I'm living in an apartment in a village, which is beautiful, and I have nature nearby, I can walk there, but what I wanted was to live in nature, and I wanted to live sustainably, and now I have all these things. I can do the best I can, but still the laundry detergent that I get that's ecological still comes in plastic or paper box, something like that, it's still, it's not exactly as as I wanted to be. Definitely, you just say six months. I think uh, maybe it was similar amount of time for me. Uh, maybe a little bit longer because I was also didn't really have time to think about things because I was also dealing with a little newborn daughter. <laughs> so that was like a lot of uh, attention went to her, of course. But yeah, definitely a lot of uh, adjusting. And um, on the one hand, it was so beautiful. On the other hand, it was so difficult. So it's difficult to say it's difficult because it was so beautiful at the same time.
0: What keeps Ellen inspired to keep going?
1: My daughter. She was born, and she was not expected so it was a beautiful uh, little unexpected gift from the universe and uh, yes I've thought a lot about the reasoning behind people uh, having or not having children with regards to the environmental impact and one thing I have to say about that is that I want the people that are actually doing good in the world also to have children because we need those children to make the world a better place because otherwise all the people who are maybe not thinking so much about the future of our planet are the ones who are going to be popping out the kids and uh, we want little green warriors. So yeah, my goal is to uh, turn her into one of those. I mean, I'm not going to force her to do anything, but I'm definitely going to inspire her. And um, there are lots of things that we do that I think every child should learn. So a lot of it comes down to uh, compassion and kindness for animals and for nature. Um, And when we walk to school in the morning, I called school, but it's daycare. We pick up trash along the way. She does it by herself now. Sometimes it's a little gross because she's picking up like a used condom (laughs) i i'm like okay okay wait we have to sort of think about what things you can and can't pick up so those types of things that melts my heart because it just i can see it also inspires other people when they see her do it because kids are cute so people look at kids and then they see her pick up the trash and either they talk about it or they talk to her about it i just really believe in the ripple effect and being the change you wish to see and if you do it on the street then people can see you do it and people will follow in your footsteps
0: One thing that is talked about is the impact of having children in terms of the carbon footprint that's created by additional population on this planet. Ellen had a great response to combat any negative ideas around having a kid as an eco-conscious citizen, but also shared what was difficult for her personally with having a child. One
1: of the most difficult things for me was diapers, because the disposable diapers, even if they're ecological and biodegradable Biodegradable and stuff anyway you don't really know where they end up unless you compost them yourself and Mm -hmm. i don't have a composting thing here so i did the cloth diapering for a while which as a solo parent turned out to be impossible almost because uh i didn't have the time or energy to be able to do that so that was a big loss also on my part because i really wanted to do that so badly and if i would have stayed in portugal i would have had the time but here um I didn't have that time, so that was a uh, something that I wish I would have been able to do, but I sadly had to sort of give up.
0: So having a kid and trying to live an eco-conscious lifestyle in the city can be difficult, but Ellen seems to have come to terms with balancing dreams for herself and her kid.
1: Those are the things that I think inspired me the most, and for her, one day, my dream is for her to go to the Green School in Bali, at least for a year when she's older, to learn what they learn at that school, which is to me like a, a dream school, and... To just for one year learn all those things that they teach there would just be uh, amazing to me.
0: In the end, those seem to be the most inspiring parts of Ellen's story.
1: I hope that what I'm doing is creating at least some sort of an impact by being a megaphone for Earth, is how I like to call it, because the thing is with businesses that are actually making a lot of change, they're busy and they're doing all this, this, this good work, but they're not really going around shouting about how amazing they are. They're just sort of doing the down and dirty and doing it and creating epic shit that uh, needs to be seen and heard and is really creating change. And I just wanted to be that person that, first of all, spoke to these people and second of all, gave them a platform to uh, be able to express about the amazing things they're doing and especially the why behind what they're doing. Because uh, there's this passion that's behind what they're doing. And if you look at the brand, you often can feel it, sense it. But when you actually hear the founder or the owner talk about this, then you can relate to this person. <laughs> Everyone is human. Everyone's doing their best for this planet. Even if you think they're not doing their best, but everyone's doing their best. And they're doing what they, what they really believe in and what they're most passionate about. They've taken it and turned it into either a product or a service and are really changing the world. And that's why I wanted to do what I'm doing. And the way I'm doing it is by, uh, I also have a podcast and I interview these people, predominantly women, about these issues and about their businesses and about the change they're making in the world.
0: It is so funny to think that there are others out there who are living essentially the same lives as themselves with the same stories as I am, minus the kid part. So I was incredibly honored to share Ellen's story and in some ways share my own as well. Follow what Ellen is doing by checking out Ecofem Meg's podcast and blog. This past week was International Women's Day, and I want to give a huge shout of love and support for all the amazing women who have shared their stories with us on Trash Talking over the last year and a half. While there are many men who lead the Green Movement and are doing amazing work, and whose stories I believe are equally important and enthralling, I wanted this podcast to focus on sharing as many unique, inspiring stories as possible and bringing attention to the incredible females who should be celebrated by everyone. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in. We really do read all of your comments and love hearing your suggestions. If there's someone who needs a little nudge towards being more eco-friendly, I find that sharing these inspiring stories is a great way of doing it, gently. So here's to all you female eco-warriors. Tune in again next week where we'll have more inspiring stories from eco-warriors around the world. Thanks for listening and stay green. Thanks for talking dirty with us. Tune in next week for more trash talking with eco-warriors. For more inspiration, follow us on Instagram at TrashyBeautyCo.